Well, I was down in first and second grade room um, having uh, pastor in, or pancakes with pastor morning. And uh, so, Don, if you'll head down to first and second grade, they're waiting for you. And so I was just enjoying chatting with the children. And Rita bolts through the door frantically going, you're on, you're on. And uh, so here we go, all right? Um, and today is the last in the series of messages entitled Life in the Fairway. Living as God intended. And I want to talk about finishing strong. I want to talk about the back nine. Usually when I pray, because I don't have this long attention span, that somewhere around the 12th, 13th, and 14th hole, I start losing interest in the game. I, I start thinking of things I should be doing and stuff I need to be doing at home or here at work and just people I need to go see, stuff I need to call and stuff I need to get done for the next event and that kind of thing. And so I just kind of lose focus. And unless I got somebody there who trash talks me and golf, that's not a frequent occurrence. But unless I got somebody there who trash talks me, this whole thing of, of the back nine, I just kind of lose interest in it. And sometimes as we get older, sometimes as we grow older in our faith, we lose interest. I know that doesn't make any sense, does it? It seems that the older we get in Christ, it should be the more on fire we are and the more intimate we become with Jesus Christ. But sometimes it seems that devotions, if you've been saved for 10 years, are more of a struggle to do than they were in the first year that you were saved. And sometimes we struggle to finish the back nine. So I want to talk about what it takes to finish the back nine. Now, the definition of back nine depends on our stage in life. It really depends on where you're at. For some of us, the back nine is so about growing older. It feels like it happens so quickly, this stain of age. In a bleak of an eye, we go from pimples to wrinkles just like, we go just like that. And many people find it hard to continue to grow spiritually as they grow older. And I know, again, that doesn't make sense. But some of you are there and it's hard to, to finish. Well, then for others, the back nine has to do with difficult circumstances and past defeats. You know, heartaches and disappointments of life, wrong assumptions, mistakes, poor choices that damage our self-esteem, our confidence, and really kind of make us iffy about what to do and second-guess our choices and second-guess our commitment and decision to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth seems way out of reach and almost untouchable because of difficult circumstances. For others still, the back nine could be that Christian life takes the form of overwhelming responsibilities. Work just keeps piling it on. Kids in your home just keep piling on. Finances can't pile on. They go away. They, they go the other way. And the stress of depleted funds, man, just piles on. Health issues. I mean, we can just go on and on, on with things that overwhelm you at a certain stage, at many stages of life. And you don't have to be old to be overwhelmed. There are things in life that overwhelm us. And if we don't know how to navigate it, if we don't have a commitment of faith to work through it, then, man, we're going to really struggle. We're going to quit. For still others, the back nine is the temptation to say this. You've kind of been in church a little while, and here's the, here's the temptation to kind of sit on the bench or sit on the pew, in our case, sit on the chair, and just go, you know what? I've paid my dues I've served my time, so I'm just not going to serve anymore. 
I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot from moms who don't serve in tot spots, and we have this huge need for tot spots. I hear that from parents who look at youth ministry as a drop-off kind of child-sitting service instead of being the spiritual leader of their home and directing their teenagers to growth in Christ. They, they say, well, you know what? I've served my time, Pastor. It's time for somebody else to do it. That is such a lame and unbiblical excuse. And there is not a believer anywhere in this world who has lived, is living, or will ever live, who has the right to own that excuse. Well, let me give you one more. Because of the difficult circumstance that they faced in life, some people say, you know, I'm just too embarrassed. I'm too hurt to continue. You just don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm up against. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know the life I've had to live. You don't know the struggles I've gone through. I'm telling you, I've just about had enough. And you're at the point of quitting. You know, the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that God is not interested in your failures and your mistakes from the past. Man, I'm the the biggest one of them all. We may want to, but we've got to continue and finish strong. But the negative voices, even our own voice, tells us that we're worthless, that we're no count, that we're no good, that we messed up so bad that God cannot use us anymore. And I'm telling you, those last two temptations to say that I've paid my dues, I've served my time, and it's somebody else's time is so unbiblical, it is so reprehensible from a Christian point of view, and so is the last. Because the last means you have a biblical worldview that does not incorporate grace. And the grace of God and the mercy of God is extended to you that no matter who you are, what you've done, no matter how bad you have messed up, God can and will use you. Amen? So we've got to understand that we've got to finish strong on this back nine. We've got to really just make a commitment. And so if you're going to finish strong... You got to have a faith like Caleb. Caleb is a guy who's found in the book of Joshua, chapter 14, verses 16 through 13. I want you to turn there in the book of Joshua or on your iPad or your smartphone or your smart something. And and, and I want you to follow along. Caleb is a guy who kind of appears, he's, he's kind of like a polka dot on the pages of the Old Testament and briefly on the New. And you've got to understand the whole story of children and the, Moses and the children of Israel to understand who Caleb is. So I want us to read the scriptures. Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 14. Now the man of Judah... Now the man of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. Now the man of Judah... Is Caleb. Caleb, the son of that guy from that group, and he said to him, You know what the Lord said? You can't read it either, so that's okay. I don't feel bad. He says, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Bardia, about you and me? Kadesh Bardia was this huge, huge event in the life of Israel. That if you just said Canis Bardia, instantaneously, everybody knew what you were talking about. 
It was the point where they stood right on the edge of the promised land. And all they had to do was to take one more step and they would just literally fall into the promised land. But instead of going forward, they chose to turn back. And there were two guys, Joshua and Caleb, they were sent in to spy out the land. And, and along with 10 other guys. And 10 guys came back and said, uh-uh, we can't do it. The, the cities are too great and they're too walled. They're well fortified. They're big. They're strong. They're armed. They're, they're people of war and we've been in bondage. Slaves, we're peasants, we're nothing. We're grasshoppers in their sight. And here's Caleb. Here's Joshua saying, I don't know what you guys were looking at. I saw a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the grapes we brought back. It takes two, uh, two guys to, on a pole to carry a cluster of the grapes. I don't know what you guys were looking at, but what I saw was the land that God intended for us. That's our land. That's where God wants us. Let's go get the land. And out of everybody, it was just two guys who said, let's go get it. Come on, let's take the hill. Let's go. And because of the sin of Kadesh Bardia, where the multitude listened to the ten and not the two, where the multitude stood on the brink of the promised land, literally could have fallen into the promised land, and they turned back. And that decision at Kadesh Bardia started the wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. Every person who had wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness knew it was because of one decision at Kadesh Bardia. It was a huge milestone. And so, it's 40 years down the road. Joshua and Caleb are still there. All of their friends have died in the wilderness. It's a new generation. Forty years later from that day when he said, he said, what you heard about me, he says, verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Bardia to explore the land, to spy at the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions Thank God for people who still have convictions, amen. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, Moses is dead now. The land which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that, your ch- and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that time he said to Moses while Moses moved in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. You want to talk about a back nine. Oh, my word, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I don't know what vitamins Caleb was taking, but I want some of that. Amen? I'm strong today as the day you sent me out, and I'm just as vigorous to go out to the battle as I was then. He said, I haven't lost my fight because there's still stuff worth fighting for. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised to me on that day. You yourself heard it then that the Amalekites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, or the Lord is helping me, and I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Are you kidding me? 
You talk about a guy who's a, who's a poster boy for the back nine. I, I mean, what Bill Gates is to computers and John Wayne is to Western. I mean, Caleb is to the finishing strong. I mean, he's kind of like the, the poster boy of it. And so from Caleb's life, and just as briefly as it appears in the scripture, we find three things that you and I got to incorporate if we're going to finish the back nine. Here it is, number one. Change is inevitable. Change is inevitable. You got to write it down somewhere. Change is inevitable. Forty years in the wilderness brought a lot of change. His friends had died. Now there was a new generation to know, love, and lead. It meant a change in his approach, but not the goal. The goal was still the promised land. But the new, gen- the new generation didn't know anything about the horrors of Egypt. They, they weren't there at the decision of Kadesh Bardia. It's completely new. Everyone from that generation had died away, and this was a new, a new generation. It was a new generation that hadn't tasted milk and honey, and all they knew was manna. It took courage to change. And he realized that things don't say the same at the age we're most comfortable at. Have you ever wanted things just to say the same? Have you ever just looked at your kids? Maybe they were like 9, 8, and, or 9, 10, 11, whatever that age. And just went, man, this is like good age. I just wish everything could stay the way it is. But then they became teenager. And life changed. Then you about got this whole teenage thing figured out and they went off to college and life changed. Then you got about the whole college thing figured out and they got married. And then life really got good when they brought the grandbabies along. Amen? Amen. I'm telling you. Listen, life was never meant to be a pond. Man, it is a river. It is always flowing. It is always going. And God calls us not to change the goal. For Caleb, the goal was still the same, the promised land. The goal was still the same. The piece of land Moses promised Caleb was the same land that he wanted from Joshua, the new leader. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, change is inevitable. We all like change that we like, and we don't like change that we don't like. Amen? How many of you are over 50 and you have a cell phone? I do this a lot. How many of you over 50, you got a cell phone, but you don't have any idea how to use that cell phone? You know what I'm saying? We, we don't mind change. Does anybody really want to go back to the horse and buggy day? Does anybody want to really go back to the day where we had a pot belly stove? And this is true, the old Kirby church on Kirby in Brooklyn. And Brother Varney would get there early in the morning. He'd stoke that pot belly stove with, with coal just to warm up the building. Do we really want to go back to that day? I don't know. We like the changes we like. But we bristle against the ones that we don't like. All I'm saying is that change is inevitable. And you've got to learn to navigate the change. Matter of fact, the Christian life, let's just be blunt and honest, the Christian life is all about change. You ought to be a changed person. If you're a person of faith, you ought to be a changed person. You ought to be different than you were a year ago. In Christ, you ought to be different than you were five years ago. In Christ, you ought to be different than you were ten years ago. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly working on our heart, 
chipping away at the rough edges, molding us, kneading us, shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ, the very precious and holy Son of God. That is a lifelong process that the Holy Spirit keeps going and keeps working and keeps nudging and keeps pushing and keeps shaping and keeps working so that you and I become like Jesus. That's why Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, the process of change. Change is inevitable. Matter of fact, we jokingly say around here, if we haven't changed something in about three months, we change something just so we stay in the habit of change. Because we're always changing. Thank God our church isn't adverse to change. In fact, we embrace it. But for most, man, they push against it. I was at a conference this past week and got to talk to quite a few people. And one of the questions I was asked was, you know, it sounds like your church has done a little bit of change. And I said, yes, we have it. And they said, well, tell me about your old people. I got a little offended because I'm starting to get in that old people category. But I looked at him. I said, listen, our old people have always led the way of change. I will never forget when I talked to the Wildcats years and years ago about just the different style of music and what we were kind of doing and what we were probably going to be doing and just wanted their opinion, wanted their wisdom, wanted what they think. I will never forget. They grumbled. They griped for about 15, 20 minutes. They chatted it all up. And then it got real quiet. And Peggy Mullins spoke up and she said, Brother Mike, if it means that my grandchildren come to church and find Jesus as their Savior or other young people do, I will gladly never sing another song because I can sing that at home. And before we were done, man, our Wildcats is like, let's go do it. Change is inevitable. We got to embrace the change that God is doing and what he's doing in our, our heart and in our life. Man, we, we change. You're going to hear some more about that later on uh, in the year. But change, let me give you the second thing. Commitment is non-negotiable. Not only is change inevitable, but commitment is non-negotiable. You have to have a commitment to grow in your Christian life. You have to have a commitment like Caleb, even though it's 45 years delayed from the promise to the fulfillment, that you're going to keep your eye on the goal and keep going to the direction that God has called you to go to. We have to have a commitment. See, we believe that spiritual growth is normal and expected for every believer. We believe that when you go live your life through the week, when you're not sitting here, you ought to be reading your Bible. You ought to be sharing faith. Your life ought to be an example. There ought to be something about you that is distinctively different about the other people who do not know Christ as their Savior. There is a commitment to Christ that has to be at the forefront of our life instead of the rearview mirror of our life. It's non-negotiable. You can't negotiate it away. It is absolutely essential. And so commit with courage. Man, Caleb is 85 years old and he says, give me, give me the mountain. 
I mean, he had the right. He had the respect. He was like the, you know, he was like the sage of the, of the children of Israel. If anybody had the right just to sit back and soak it in and sit on a rocking chair on the front porch of somebody's home in Israel, in the land of promise, it would have been Caleb. But man, he was still committed with courage. Dude, he said, I'm just as strong today as I was when Moses and I made and struck that deal. Matter of fact, look at Joshua 14, verses 10, 11, and 12 again. Look at these verses. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved around in the desert, so here I am today, 85 years old. And I'm still as strong today as I was the day that Moses sent me. Give me the land. Give me the land. Man, that is courageous commitment. That is courageous commitment. I don't know why, if you've noticed or not, but the culture is changing around us. It is not changing in a positive direction. And for far too long, we as a church, our church, church at large, we have been very quiet in this whole area uh, of kind of trying to affect culture. We want to affect church. We want to affect homes. We want to affect lives. And I understand that has a ripple effect and will affect communities and, and regions and states and nations. But I also understand that there's got to be some commitment and some courageous commitment in our part to actually and effectively live out our faith. Now, I know people say, well, listen, faith is a private decision. It's just something personal in my heart. I agree. Your initial decision to accept Jesus Christ was a public decision. But the nature of faith that God calls us to demands that we live it out in a public forum. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said, by this, uh, you can judge, uh, uh, I just lost the verse. But anyway, talk about judging the fruit of a person's life. Our faith is supposed to be out there, and it takes courage to throw it out there. We not only have to have commitment that's non-negotiable, we've got to have courageous commitment. Man, look at Caleb's commitment. Caleb saw a future larger and greater than his past. His days have been numbered, but not his commitment. There's, here's a guy whose birthday didn't cake didn't say over the hill. Man, it said, give me the hill. Can you say today that you're a person of strong commitment, full of confidence, abiding faith in Jesus Christ, untarnished, unblemished, that, man, you are just as committed to Christ today as the day you gave him your heart? Dude, I tell you what, I don't want to wind down as I get older. I want to get more fired up. Man, I, I want to I go for the hill. I want to take the mountain. It's not a time to wind down and throw in the towel, man. It's a time to lead and say, come on, Lord, give us another hill. By the way, in case you haven't caught on to Caleb and to God, age is really immaterial. 
from a spiritual point of view, age is really immaterial. In the Bible, there are people at all age levels. If you look at, at, at teenagers, there was David who killed Goliath, a teenager, made king. There was the three Hebrew children, teenagers, down to probably a child even before be in double digits, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they were promoted to vice presidents of Babylon because of that. Then there's Josiah. Josiah was made king at the age of eight. The age of eight. He instituted a law to tear down all the idols throughout the land. Age is immaterial to God. There's guys who were middle-aged. You could see that through the 12 apostles that in the New Testament that followed Jesus Christ around that wrote the majority of the books in the, in the uh, New Testament. Then you can go to the guys who were, you know, in, in our jargon, in our day and time, over the hill. You know? There's guys like Caleb who's 85. Abraham was 100 when he had a child to begin the great spiritual nation or the great nation of Israel. And God made that covenant with a hundred-year-old Abraham. And then there's Moses, well into his 80s and probably close to 120 by the time he died, leading the children of Israel. See, at the end, age is immaterial to God. I announced my call to preach when I was 16 years old. 16 years old. But I'm telling you, about 12 or 13, this thing started just really churning in my heart. Even when I was a kid, people would ask me, what are you going to be? And I was going to be a fireman, I was going to be a lawyer, I was going to be the president of the United States, I was going to be an astronaut, I was going to be a cowboy. But I would always throw in, and a preacher, and a preacher. I don't know where I got that from, and a preacher. I'm just saying age is an immaterial thing to God. He uses children. He uses the oldest of us and the youngest of us. It is us who tend to put limits on God. And say, well, really, only between somewhere between our 22nd year and our 60th year are we in our prime and used of God. I don't believe that at all. I think we've got a church full of young people, 18 and under, who have something of infinite value to offer this church. I think we got a boatload of folks in our church, 65 and older, who have infinite, well, not infinite, nobody's got infinite, but they got an untapped wisdom to benefit our church at both ends of the extreme God is not it's time and age is immaterial to him so that's why he calls us to courageous commitment as a 16 year old kid to start preaching as an 85 year old guy Caleb to take the mountain age is an immaterial thing and I just kind of want to wrap it up saying that courage is essential Life should be viewed as a challenge, not as a threat. Problems need to be looked at as opportunities rather than, rather than something to throw our hands up in a dither and worry. Even though we get older and we face difficult responsibilities, we struggle with life, we should never our, abandon our efforts to meet the challenges that are set before us. While many people Caleb's age would be content to sit on a rocking chair in a porch as their only activity... And no doubt that 40-year trek brought moments of huge discouragement and disappointment to Caleb's life. 
I'm sure there were days where he wanted to quit and throw in the towel. But man, he just kept courage to keep talking about the promised land. People were talking about eating manna again. He kept talking about the promised land that flowed with milk and honey. People talked about the tabernacle or again. And he talked about the land that one day would have a temple that would house the very presence of God. And so while people would kind of go on about the problems, it was Caleb who kept pushing and pushing and pushing with courage and saying there's a day coming. There's a day coming. We've got to keep going towards the prize. We've got to keep going towards the promise that God has called us to. Courage is absolutely essential. By the way, why do I think Caleb was so young at 85? I don't think it's because he had grandchildren. I don't think it's because he had the love of his life, his wife. I think the real reason why a lot of people I know stay young is they have a passion about Jesus Christ that overflows in everything they do and they live a spirited life. Let me read some scriptures to you. Deuteronomy 31.8. Write these down on your note sheets. You need to know these. Memorize these. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That was kind of Moses' last words. Now here's God's first words to Joshua, the new leader. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, I have not commanded you. The command was in 31.8 of Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I'm telling you, 40, Caleb was still claiming that promise right there. Look at Joshua 14, 12, and 13 again. Listen to what he says. Now give me this hill country. Give me the hill country. Give me the hill. Give me the mountain that the Lord God promised me on that day. You yourself heard then that the Amalekites were there and the cities were large and fortified, but the Lord is helping me and I'll drive them out just as he said. And then Joshua blessed him and gave him the land of Hebron. It takes courage. Hey, living a life of faith is not for the faint of heart. And courage takes a risk. Somebody wrote this, I don't know who it is, but he says, to laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to appear, is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To expose feeling is to risk exposing our true self. To place ideas and dreams before the crowd is to risk loss. To love is to risk not loved, not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try at all is to risk failure. But risk we must. Because the greatest hazard in life is to risk Nothing. The man, the woman who risked nothing, does nothing, has nothing, is nothing. Courage is absolutely essential. So here's the question. Are you stumbling through the back nine of your life? Have you lost focus? Are you distracted? Are you throwing in excuses? Have you, will you allow yourself to be Inspired by Caleb, claiming the precious promises of God and saying, God, I believe with everything in me. Man, it would just be awesome today if we would just affirm God with everything that's in me. Everything that's in me. 
everything that's in me. I'm going to embrace what you're doing in my life courageously and with bold faith. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment?